0: It's time to go to school fool. Welcome to episode ten of for our edification. Thanks for joining For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis, along with The Good Doctor, Halima Leek Francis. For Our Edification is underwritten by the Purposeful Philanthropy Foundation. Now, whenever there's a conversation about college, uh, public conversation, whether it's on TV, whether it is on air, online, social media, inevitably, someone jumps in. College ain't for everybody. Now, that's true. But... I'm of the belief that it's a statement that does more harm than good to the black community. So, let's talk about it right after this. The views and opinions expressed on For Our Edification do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the hosts, guests, or any entities with which we are affiliated. And thank you for joining For Our Edification. I'm Eddie Francis, along with Halima Malik Francis. And when I was in radio... Um, I remember we would get into all these conversations about college, and there were a couple of conversations that got a bit intense, and of course, the cost of college came up and all of that good stuff. I was actually on a talk show that was on a hip-hop station at the time, and it it was a Saturday morning talk show, and inevitably, somebody would always call in and say, well, you know college ain't for everybody. It, like, they just wanted to kill the whole conversation, basically. And they just wanted us to stop, basically. Now, I don't have any issue with that. I, I agree. I mean, college is not for everybody. In fact, there are some logical reasons that we hear all the time against attending college. Now, here's something that's pretty ironic. I caught a piece uh, by the National Association of Scholars. 10 reasons not to go to college. <laughs> and it was uh, from May 2010. And basically, what they were doing was bringing balance to the conversation about attending college. Now, of those 10 reasons, here are five reasons that we hear the most debt, obviously, uh, delaying the opportunity to earn an income. Um, it can be, you can get a great paying job without a college education alternatives, such as apprenticeships, was another reason. There was one reason that we often don't think about when it comes to college, toxic habits, such as binge drinking, drugs, promiscuity. Um, As a matter of fact, there's a stat that they pulled approximately 40% of U.S. college students engage in heavy episodic drinking. Now, Obviously, I understand those reasons. I understand everybody else's reasons, um, and there are a lot of other reasons that you can say that college is not for everybody, and you don't necessarily have to go to college to be successful. The thing is, I get nervous when I hear black folks jump on that bandwagon. Now, here are my reasons I get nervous about it. Uh, number one, we already talk in our community about having to play multi-generational catch-up. Now, if that's the case, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the feet when it comes to just quickly running into the fight with, well, college isn't for everybody. The other thing that I have an issue with is we think in terms of return on investment needing to happen no more than five years after graduation. So, a lot of people, we've been here, I got my degree, where's my $70,000? You know what? I need to co- I need to cover all that money I paid for college, and y'all only want to pay me fifteen dollars an hour. I can't I can't survive on that. and I can't pay off my debt. Okay, we'll get back to that in just a little bit. Um, the other thing that I look at, we're not thinking in terms of developing intellectual capital too. Whenever we are so quick to say, everybody ain't cut off for college now. Here's what I want to do in this episode. I want to look at education from a pretty broad perspective, but then I also want to talk about what we leave on the table by quite frankly copping out of this discussion about the value of college. Well, that's where Halima comes in. Hello, Halima.
1: Hi there.
0: Halima has a master's in educational sociology. It's a fascinating topic. I mean, whenever I've heard her talk about her degree, whenever I've heard her talk about what she learned in her program, uh, and and then when I hear how she connects the dots when it comes to education, when it comes to sociology, I have to tell you, <laughs> you know, it, it really does something for me. You know, I mean, I'm her man. It does something for me. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it really does. I'm not lying. Um, but so here here's my thing. And I want to I want to bring you into this thing, you know, right away, right off the bat. Going through that program, what was your big aha moment about a college education as you were going through the program?
1: So, in in looking at uh, at um, my program and my experience and getting my master's um, in educational sociology or sociology of education. Um, there were multiple aha moments, honestly, mm-hmm. um, but a major aha moment for me was really understanding how education can be or or is identified as one of the major drivers of social mobility and socioeconomic mobility mm-hmm. and kind of putting that, um, juxtaposing that with the argument that college isn't for everybody and the the dominant reason that usually kind of um, frames that argument is the debt issue. So mm-hmm, when people yeah. talk about how much it costs, but you know over time historically, um, you know education has been proven to be one of those things that um, kind of levels the playing field and, and provides equity. So being able to to understand that um was was a major aha moment for me and then also looking at it from a historical context so looking at like the history of uh american colleges and universities how they were formed um their intents and purposes mm-hmm. initially you know hbcus of course um women's colleges uh the the elite institutions so understanding the frameworks that these institutions were formed in And um, how they contributed to building some of the infrastructure that we see within society. Um, That is something I was exposed to through early sociology classes at at Hampton. But it just it gave me a a further opportunity to dig deeper into what I didn't know.
0: Here's what's ironic to me. We we in black America, I think, often miss. That whenever we talk about HBCUs, especially when we talk about the history of HBCUs, it's a, it's a direct reflection of our history as a people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think this needs some context. Because th- this is the thing that gets me, especially when I take a look at a social media conversation about this kind of stuff. People do not get context. Everybody wants everything so simple. They want a very simple hamburger. <laughs> you know, they want mm. a bun, a burger, maybe some lettuce, maybe some tomato, a, a bun on the, a, a bun on the bottom. They 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 get annoyed when you start talking about well, do you want your burger meeting well? Do you want it well, rare? Yeah.
1: It's, it's a complicated, it's a complex conversation. <laughs> so <laughs> so so
0: let's talk. I mean, let's give everybody a quick history lesson on HBCUs. I mean, just from a very broad perspective. Um, and, and I know this is a, I know that, you know, just one radio show doesn't do this conversation justice, but if if you were to give people a, a five minute history lesson of HBCUs, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I yeah, mean, yeah, like, yeah. like you have all these people who are just like, if HBCUs could just be more professional, if they could just raise money, right. If they could just, why don't they have the same equipment? What's wrong with these schools? Yeah. And, 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 and the, the, the the issue is in the history of them. So yeah, yeah. I think HBCUs reflect some of the difficulties we have in talking about college. Mm-hmm. Quick history lesson on HBCUs. So, what happened? So,
1: So <laughs> many of our HBCUs were established post-slavery, so right after right. slavery. And part of the conversation... Was, um, you know, what's going to happen with all of these these enslaved people mm-hmm. and how are we, how is the nation from, you know, from a, um, I guess the dominant society perspective mm-hmm. going to manage um All these people, you know, and and how How can, in many ways it was The conversation was around Or part of the conversation was around preserving The infrastructure that had been established Through slavery, quite frankly Mm -hmm. So preparing another labor force Mm -hmm. Um, So that was one of the conversations Another conversation was um, Building up the Black community, so um, Some of the schools that you see that were Established by by, uh, Groups such as the AME Church um, some of those schools, many of them, were established as kind of these uh, cultural or, or social anchors within the community mm-hmm. to create the needs or to to be able to fulfill the needs of the community. So a lot of them focused on uh, preparing teachers and educators, preparing um, people who could work in the medical field, medical professions, um, attorneys, lawyers. So so that so that. Our social infrastructure as a people could have these major pillars, you know, education, law, and healthcare, um, and and some other areas as well. But so that we could have those major pillars to be able to function as a society or or as a group of people. Mm-hmm. And then you had another school of thought that looked at education for blacks um, as kind of this um, this mission to. Um, It it was a moral uh, imperative, if you will. So making sure that that blacks were uh, trained to behave properly Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So, you know, you had these kind of conflicting and cooperative um, agendas that were uh, part of the undercurrent of establishing uh, a lot of our historically black colleges and universities. Uh, So, you know, when you see some of them that focus on agricultural or the the name is agricultural and technical, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that. Or normal schools. Normal schools. So those were those. That's that's where a lot of those names came from. And then, of course, some of the policy things that were around that. So, you know, land grant colleges, all those other things as well. But from a social perspective, um, usually it it fell into one of those three areas. Um, so you know, looking at the history of HBCUs and what it meant, what it meant for um, the Black community in terms of surviving mm-hmm. and then rebuilding and advancing socially, you have. I, I think it's it's beneficial to look at the entire history or the entire experience that Black people have had with education yeah. in this country right. to really parse out. Um, the value of education So to give yourself perspective You have to look at it in a continuum mm-hmm. And a lot of times You know again when people are saying Education is not for everybody Or college isn't for everybody um, They're looking at it in kind of a singular focus Or a singular context mm-hmm. That says well You know if I go to college I'm putting my life on hold So I won't be able to take advantage Of some opportunities Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's some huge implications for you not being present in the conversation that that higher education affords, mm-hmm. um, as there are implications for you being present. So, you know, it's 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 a very um, it's a multidimensional conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times when we when we have that discussion, um, we don't give it. The, the breadth of of consideration it deserves.
0: Thank you for joining for our edification. I'm Eddie Francis along with Halima League Francis and we are talking about College ain't for everybody. That is a statement that you tend to hear from a lot of folks who tend to get a bit exasperated with the conversation about college. And but my thing is, I am very nervous when we start talking about um, in the black community. I, we we start to jump on this bandwagon that college ain't for everybody. Now Halima just talked about the fact that there's a, a you know a lot of details uh, in a lot of context when it comes to the history of HBCUs. And I wanted to go into that because I think it's very, it very much reflects the history of black America. Now, let me ask you this while HBCUs are doing this little engine that could thing in education, you know, coming right out of, uh, you know, coming right out of, the, right out of the civil war, uh newly newly freed people or are, are learning to I mean in some cases they're going to a college and they're learning to read I mean mm-hmm. in, in the case of a, a lot of Hbcus mm-hmm. in the meantime, let's talk about what's happening on the other side of the tracks. what's happening at the Harvards and the Yales mm-hmm. and those schools what are they doing while we have folks at Hbcus who are trying to who were trying to just right. survive
1: right and and that was a, that was another element <laughs> in the establishment of some hbcus quite frankly some of it was about keeping us out of the harbors and the yales right um because you know we we were now in a position where we were free and we could uh, pursue education and all these other things and of course many of us were saying, well, I want to go, I want to get educated because mm-hmm. the right to read was not something that was that was uh, given to us mm-hmm. during slavery. So education was like one of those first things that we wanted to go after. And, you know, pursuing that um, in spaces where we had not been allowed predominantly white institutions mm-hmm. um, was something that, that of course we would be looking to. So part of, the impetus behind establishing hbcus in some cases was to keep us out of Mm -hmm. predominantly white institutions Mm -hmm. um now you know in terms of us gaining access to those spaces um the stories were few and far between you know and, and they were usually stories of someone getting in either um not being identified as black, mm-hmm. um, or they would be admitted, and you know, they would show up for their interview and then be told that I'm sorry mm-hmm. that the slot that you were coming to fill,
0: you know, is well. So, let's yeah. let's go to a very, very <laughs> interesting story of a, a story that you just yeah. I mean, a story of NYU, mm-hmm. uh, the story between Zora Neale Hurston and well, Dorothy Bar- Height, Bar- and the reason uh, I'm mean, yeah, Barnard, mm-hmm. the reason Dorothy Height, oh, that's right, the reason Dorothy Height. Did not go to Barnard. Right.
1: Yeah. So, and it it was interesting. Um, All these things came together for me in a very personal way Um, as I was finishing up my master's and, and considering and and entering into my doctoral work. And it it certainly contributed to me wanting to pursue doctoral Mm -hmm. study. But um, at Barnard, they had a quota that um, only a certain amount of black students could matriculate. And Barnard is a women's college in New York city. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely wonderful school. Um, And a part of their legacy and history has been one of, of keeping um having black quotas. So um Zornil Hurston, uh who started her education at Howard, uh was transferring or or yeah, I think she was transferring to Barnard and um or had transferred to Barnard. Dorothy Height came along um perhaps a year or two afterwards, but it, at any rate Zornil Hurston was still there and there was another black woman there and I, I can't recall her name. Um but Uh, Dorothy Height had been uh, admitted to Barnard, and when she went to campus for uh, a meeting, an interview, you know, to, to establish and formalize her place as a student there, she was informed that she couldn't matriculate. And the reason was that there was already, um, they had met the quota for black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that set in motion, of course, a lot of the, the serendipitous <laughs> experiences of Dorothy Height mm-hmm. um, moving on. But that was a very real experience um, that many of us face. You know, mm-hmm. many black students face. They had black quotas. Were, there were Jew quotas at a lot mm-hmm. of the schools. Um, so there was there was outright regulation to limit uh, the number of black students who could to who could attend these colleges that were not only um, predominantly white institutions but socially they would put students in position for for access to social capital that they otherwise would not get because mm-hmm. you know again that's one of the major when we look at or when you talk about what educational sociology gave me was really understanding social capital that that aligns with education. Mm-hmm. So, depending on the school that you go to, um, and honestly, every school, every educational experience that you have, you have a cohort of people who are around you, and those are your peers. Mm-hmm. Well, your peer group, and in, in many ways. Um, is is a is a source of capital or is a a source of equity for you so you know think about the networks that you have you know people are always like you need to go network you need to network well networking is a very tangible way of advancing in your career and and those kinds of things so for for dorothy height and for zora neale hurston Uh, think about their stories but also think about the people who were attached to their stories Mm -hmm. and the relationships that they made. So a major part of of Zora Neale Hurston's story um, was that she had benefactors. She had had a a prominent benefactor who supported her um, in the art that she was able to produce and the work that she was able to do Mm -hmm. and part of that relationship was developed through Barnard. Mm -hmm. So you know when we talk about um, social capital and the, the 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 opportunities that that education and higher ed affords us, looking at our history, mm-hmm. um, many of us had these opportunities just because of the space that we occupied, mm-hmm. um, and when we weren't in that space, those opportunities were limited.
0: You're listening to, for our edification, I'm Eddie Francis, and Halima is uh, hanging out as well, and so. That, that brings, so the reason for all of that, uh, you know, and we're talking about, um, you know, when people say college ain't for everybody, and, and, and I just cringe when black folks are so quick to say that. Because just based on everything that you just said in that history lesson, it just really gives context, as far as I'm concerned, to um, understanding that we leave a lot on the table mm-hmm. when we dip out of this conversation when we have people who say well i'm going to go spend all that money to do that and uh you know it's all about going to get <laughs> this is this is the part that really gets halima and i'm going to say it just to make the hairs <laughs> on her on the back of her neck stand i got to get a good job how am i going to get a good job if i got to wait all this time and spend all this money to go to college cuz after all you go to college, you get a job, don't you? <laughs> the floor is yours, Doctor Francis.
1: <sighs> okay, so I have to have a woosah moment over that. Um, yeah, so certainly education <laughs> going to college does increase your employment opportunities, um, and, and it opens the floor. But it does, it does quite a bit more, you know, It looking at um, discussions of, of policy, you know, looking at the creation of knowledge or the, the discovery of knowledge, um, you know, our presence or our lack of presence is felt so you know when you're the adage goes you know when you're not on at the table you're on the menu or yeah. something, something yeah. to that effect if, if
0: you, yeah, yeah. right
1: so and you know and, and recently there's been this emergence of you know well I don't want to see it at the table I'm going to make my own table okay fine There there's a place for that <laughs> I'm going to do what, like
0: Shirley and bring my folder and tear, tear. right
1: I'm going to bring my folder so there are different iterations of that conversation but understand what happens when you're not there when you're mm-hmm. not in the room when you're not present so you know looking at the number of um, PhDs in the nation um, and I and I just speak to this from my own reality um, being having just finished a doctorate um, the number of PhDs in our country and then the number of those who are people of color and then the number of those who are black Mm -hmm. so you know the statistics range from they they generally say that perhaps like 1% of the country has a, a PhD. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure about that statistic, it's, but it's low. It's extremely low. Mm-hmm. It's less than 10%. Um, and then when you look at people of color, when you look at uh, African-Americans, it hovers around 1% in some disciplines, and some fields, 0.9%. Um, and I, I was just reading before in, in preparation for this conversation there was an article in the um, uh, Journal of Blacks in Higher Education that talked about um, the National Science Foundation's annual data on doctoral degree re- recipients in the United States. And this was a, a 2017 study, um, but it talked about uh, the number of doctorates that were awarded. In certain fields. So, in 2017, there were uh, 1,176 doctorates awarded in fields, and they they listed about 10 fields. But some of those fields were things like medical physics, um, chemical and physical oceanography, um, logic number, logic and number theory, robotics, structural engineering. Um, So less than 2,000 doctorates were awarded in the country in those fields and not one of them was awarded to an African American. Mm -hmm. So for me that's alarming because what happens when we're not in those conversations? Mm -hmm. So when we're not in the conversation of plant genetics and Mm -hmm. you know many of us are like well what's plant genetics got to do with me?
0: Yeah. yeah. Well
1: you know when you are trying to uh, when you live in a in a food desert and your community Mm -hmm. doesn't have access to food Mm -hmm. and there's no one with the knowledge to come and fix that within your community. And and,
0: and you don't understand soil testing. So you you don't understand that your neighborhood is built on an old chemical plant site and you can't understand (laughs) why you live in Cancer Alley.
1: Right. You don't understand why you live in Cancer Alley or you're, you know, you're in the grocery store and you buying, you know, nothing against grocery stores and nothing against, you know GMO food but that whole con- I'm not getting into that conversation mm-hmm. but it is a very real thing mm-hmm. so you know and there are health implications there are financial implications you know when when your kids don't know what a real um ear of corn looks like Mm -hmm. you know because they're used to eating processed foods Mm -hmm. those kinds of things those are very real and if we're not if we're not present in that conversation um then what does that do for our community and then on Mm -hmm. the other side the people who are making decisions for us via politics via policy uh when they are allocating resources if we're not at the table advocating for our community then who's going to advocate for us
0: thank you for joining for our edification i'm eddie francis along with halima leak francis and we are talking about um a statement that you often hear whenever the conversations about college heat up and that is all right yeah 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 college ain't for everybody Um, and and that is true. It is absolutely true. However, I cringe when I hear it because, um, I think it does more harm than good, especially in the black community. It causes a, it causes us big problems. Now I've told you about this before, Helena, Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, there's this professor out of UC Berkeley that I love named George Lakoff, Mm -hmm. um, and Lakoff, um, is a guy who is a professor of linguistics and cognitive cognitive science. Um, And there was a piece that I caught because I got very curious one day about the importance of language Mm -hmm. and how we talk about things and why is it we might not necessarily understand certain things and why is it when things go over the public's head, particularly the black community's head, it's kind of a dangerous point when it's, mm-hmm. there's a public conversation that's going on in the media, is going on is going over everyone's heads. And so I stumbled upon this when I was just, you know, doing a search for language and a power of language. I ran across this piece that George Lakoff did. It was a it was actually a press release that Berkeley did um a few years back. And there was something fascinating. As a matter of fact, it was more than a few years back, actually. It was uh, around 2002, 2003. Mm -hmm. And there was something he talked about that was just fascinating to me. In this piece, he talked about why conservatives basically seem to be ahead of the game when it comes to political conversation. And here's what he said. Because... They've put billions of dollars into it, that is, into language. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they frame Mm -hmm. the topics that they want to talk about. This is what Lakoff is talking about. And he goes on to say, over the last 30 years, Mm -hmm. their think tanks have made a heavy investment in ideas and language. In 1970, Lewis Powell wrote a fateful memo to the National Chamber of Commerce saying that all of our best students are becoming anti-business because of the Vietnam War, and that we needed to do something about it. Powell's agenda included getting wealthy conservatives to set up professorships, Mm. setting up institutes on and off campus where intellectuals would write books Mm -hmm. from a conservative business perspective, and setting up think tanks. And he goes on to say, and now they have over 1,500 conservative radio talk show uh, hosts. They have a huge, very good operation, and they understand their own moral system. Mm -hmm. Um, They understand what unites conservatives, they understand how to talk about it, and they are constantly updating their research Mm -hmm. on how to best express their ideas. Mm -hmm. Now, this is 2003 we're talking about. We're in 2019. Mm -hmm. He talked about this 16 years ago. So now, we are almost... This was 1970 when the memo was written. We're almost at the 50-year mark. Mm -hmm. And the thing is this. I'm I'm thinking about Lakoff. I'm thinking about what he talked about, what what now, 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he mentioned that there was research being done. And Mm -hmm. they keep updating their research. And I I wanted to piggyback that off the fact that you talked about policy.
1: Well, so I think, I think. The what or where where I where I am with it is that multiple voices and faces need to be represented when it comes to this conversation, mm-hmm. and it's not it it includes policy, but you know it it includes the medical profession. You know there was there's a story that I've seen on social media that talks about um, this this brother was a he, I can't remember what kind of doctor he was, but he had a patient who um, the doctors were telling the patient what their yes. diag- what his di- right mm-hmm. what the diagnosis was there's a great story and um the patient didn't was was a, was a older black man if i remember it correctly and he didn't understand mm-hmm. what his original doctor had told him so then mm-hmm the The black doctor came in and kind of, I guess, verified that he understood and he talked to him in, in plain English, basically. Yeah, he, he
0: was... I mean, I remember he... Because part of his story was I walked in and part of the black doctor, part of his story was that the white doctors were laughing. Okay. Because what happened was is that the patient he was too embarrassed to tell him he didn't understand, he didn't understand right so he just kind of said yeah that's fine go with that right and the the white doctors I think laughed because they thought he was just being kind of nonchalant and mm-hmm. didn't care mm-hmm. but the black doctor went in and he was like yo my man all right. Here's what. They, here's, here's, going here's what. what they just told you. Right.
1: Right. And and so putting that. So taking that scenario where.
0: And by the and by the way, the patient changed his mind after he heard right. it in, in plain speak.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the the patient changed his mind after the doctor spoke to him. You know, explained to him in a way that he could understand. So right. taking that and applying a policy lens to it, or putting that on a bigger stage. What that means in some spaces is that there's a huge need for culturally and socially relevant interventions in mm-hmm. the medical profession. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, saying that to somebody, you know, on one hand, some people would look look at that story and say, well, that, that man should have, you know, he should have been more knowledgeable about what was going on with him. Like, he should. Like mm-hmm. it, like it was the patient's fault. So so, so they it, started. So it, some people might victim blame.
0: You. I was about to say. So we have this knee jerk reaction, and I'm and I'm just gonna say this in the black community, we have this knee jerk reaction to just beat up on each other for right, not knowing for stuff. not knowing. And right. you
1: know, medical medicine in his profession, that man could have been a farmer. He could I don't know what his profession was. He could probably tell you the inside and out of his job. Right. But right. It, it doesn't. So does that remove the responsibility though? Of doctors to be able to explain to their patients in ways that they can understand what's going on with their health, absolutely not, but because of privilege, because of the way that we value um ourselves and the way in our history and narrative with that um, we we struggle to um hold these spaces accountable and and even and it becomes a even bigger of an issue when we're just not in the room so when when doctors when policymakers, when um educators are coming up with these approaches these strategies these laws these rules these guidelines whatever they come up Mm -hmm. with to um interact with us or or to engage in some of these kind of um, social infrastructural, quite honestly, um, spaces. We need to be there because mm-hmm. if we're not there, then our voice, our perspective, and our lens is not represented. And uh, many times, you know, someone can study my experience. Mm-hmm. Someone can can study my walk, but they don't. They don't know it as intimately as I do. They don't mm-hmm. know the nuances. So, uh, and,
0: and, and and by the way. What if this black doctor, mm-hmm. at some point in his life, has said, "You know, I, I guess I want to be a doctor." You know, college ain't for everybody. It's not
1: for everybody. I'm, I'm
0: not even going to worry about this. What, what if he had been the one to say that? if He had been
1: the one to say that, and what could have happened to that patient? Right, so right. you know, it's, it, it's 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 it makes me nervous, and and you know, and then also with our um, with our educational institutions. I I do believe very much so in um, applied education and relevant education and making sure that uh, your education provides you with um, professional advancement. But understand that professional advancement does not just look like a paycheck. It's Mm -hmm. not just I can get a job or it's not just that I can get a promotion it can be so much more. It can mm-hmm. be that you're the person who creates or identifies or, or or finds the cure to some major disease. It could be mm-hmm. that you're the person who creates um, a different framework of wealth within the country. And you know it it's not just that you that you're getting an education so that you can get a job mm-hmm. education represents so much more for us as a people you know when when i uh got my doctorate you know what did that do for my family and my extended family right right um what does that do for you know, my bonus son, you know, mm-hmm. what is what does that do for kids that are coming after me? What does that do for the students I work with mm-hmm. who look like me? Mm-hmm. Um, seeing that I have uh, that I've persevered through that space mm-hmm. and, you know, there, there's value in the struggle. And, and oftentimes when we say college collagen for everybody. It's out of frustration. Yeah, it is. And, it is, and just in terms of life as a life practice, making a decision out of frustration is rarely a good idea. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. So, and you know and yeah, you got you have instincts and you 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 have those things as well, but making a critical, mm-hmm. lasting decision purely out of frustration, mm-hmm. um, without having as much complete information as you possibly can. This in general isn't a good idea So why would you do it when it comes to your education
0: Yeah and again I mean going back to The the beginning um, You know when I talked about Some of the logical reasons that someone Would say say mm-hmm. college I get all those reasons mm-hmm. I mean debt <laughs> I mean I, I I'm doing a master's degree right now I, I, Nobody has footed, footed The bill for that so mm-hmm. guess what's going to be Happening when I finish that degree mm-hmm. um, But My big aha came. And I mean, I've always seen value in college. I mean, my my parents both had master's degrees. Um, So I've always seen the value. I've always understood that there was a value. Mm -hmm. But I think my big aha came in my master's program in the last couple of semesters. When I started working on my research, uh, when I did my stats class, and I was sitting, my stats class at one point, I remember telling you at some point, (laughs) like there's a whole universe between zero and one, Mm -hmm. you know, and people play with these numbers all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting because I hear people say, the data doesn't lie, the data doesn't lie. Mm. Well, stats class, (laughs) if it didn't teach me anything else, it taught me, you better be careful of who is collecting the data and how they're collecting the data yes. because by the time you hear it on the media outlets
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's been it been massaged it's mm-hmm. been played with it's been reinterpreted mm-hmm. is been and and especially on TV you only get a 3 minute story mm-hmm. on some data that people worked on for years mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're saying oh my goodness so so like the data point that says a kid who can't read by third grade is going to jail. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and the way that it comes out in the media, mm-hmm. it comes out like that. It comes out. If they're not reading by third grade, they are going to jail. When really the data might really suggest that there's a correlation between right. kids who cannot read by third grade and the possibility mm-hmm. of going to jail. And by the time it hit the public, Mm-hmm. Everybody went crazy. Everybody's like, "Oh lord, oh lord, oh lord. Oh, Darnell can't read. So uh, and he's he's and he just got out of third grade. My baby's going to jail." And it's like, "Wait, whoa, 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 slow down." And
1: it and it and it justifies in many ways some of the reactions to that child. So yeah, in the classroom. It, it does. It does. You know, so we're, there's a whole conversation about bias right now. So,
0: well, again, so if Darnell's in a classroom and his teacher
1: right his teacher. doesn't
0: understand anything about the community that Darnell came from, right? Yet the teacher has that job because out of all the applicants, she was the only one with a master's degree, right? And, and <laughs> you know, she, or she was the only one, you know, who she was the only one who had a master's degree. Or she was the only one who knew exactly how to approach it. She had the language mm-hmm. to talk about what she could do in a classroom. And it's unfortunate because she might have been in a pool or, or this person might have been in a pool of candidates who were qualified for a myriad of other reasons. Mm-hmm. But this is the one who was able to do it because she had the language and she really, really took her college experience a lot more seriously. The uh, people who said, "Well, I'm gonna be a teacher because I can't do nothing else," or whatever, fine. You know, and then college she, ain't for everybody. <laughs> and how
1: she and how she manages the relationship with Darnell as her student. Right. So, you know, Darnell. She saw the news report that if kids can't read by the time they're 3 they're in third grade, they're going to jail. And the report, you know, disproportionately says that black students that come from this zip code, mm-hmm. you know, the that, that that's going to be their reality. So then right. the teacher goes into the classroom having that as a subconscious filter. And when she's trying to work with Darnell, Darnell might be frustrated because he's not able to read, but she doesn't she's not necessarily equipped to manage mm-hmm. any um mm-hmm you know any frustration or in any um acting out that he does as a result of his frustration all those different things so she you know she sends Darnell to the principal's office or she punishes Darnell however it happens and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah so yeah. you know it's it is a um it, it's a slippery slope and it's it's really something that um again when you when you opt out or when you decide that you wanna um, you don't want to pursue higher education um that's that's a that's a very important decision um if you have the opportunity to do so and then along with that uh, some of the some of the um gifts I think of <laughs> pushing through that filter like if 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 higher ed is something you really want to do, there are a lot of ways to skin that cat.
0: Thank you for joining for our edification. I'm Eddie Francis along with Halima Lee Francis. And we are talking about uh, that, that statement that tends to come up whenever there is a spirited discussion about college and that statement being college ain't for everybody. Um, and you talk, you were about to talk about the gifts that can, um, that can really, really uh, come along and, 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 and get people going when it comes to college. Now, before you go into that, um, there is something I wanted to uh, I wanted to share, and and this was probably I watched you know Robert F Smith uh, made headlines in May of 2019 when he um, mm-hmm. said that he would uh, pay off help pay off the debt for students who were graduating from Morehouse class of 2019. All the attention was there. However, I watched his commencement speech, mm-hmm. and his commencement speech was one for the ages. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much wisdom there was so much gold in that speech and there are a couple of things that i really really that really stood out to me one yeah. thing that stood out to me is that robert F. smith who graduated from cornell um a billionaire um you know and and it is it, his attitude about having a degree
1: a black man
0: a black yeah, man in
1: case you don't know a black <laughs> man
0: graduated from an ivy league university he is a billionaire um but what i don't what i think was ignored in that whole thing is his attitude about having a college degree mm. and where he decided to make this investment this <laughs> this <laughs> this philanthropic this huge philanthropic mm. gift and he really talked about the social significance mm-hmm. of having a college degree. He tied in Black Lives Matter and Me Too mm-hmm. in that in that speech. And, and when he talked about uh, the social significance of having a degree. But here was the part that I love. At one point, he said, a degree is a social contract. It calls you to devote your talents and energies to honoring those on whose shoulders both you and I stand. Mm. And... For him to position a degree in that way, really, it really hit me in a pretty special place because I was sitting here going, he gets it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, out, he's a billionaire, but I don't think he gets it because he's a billionaire. Mm-hmm. He gets it because he knew that a college education is something that you leverage mm-hmm. and you figure out how to leverage it. Mm-hmm. That really reminds me of when I was doing a recruiting project and the company I was working with, we were looking at uh, recent college graduates for to fill these sales positions, mm-hmm. and these were this was a training position for uh, folks coming right out of college, and it was something very interesting that they told me when we were looking at um, that we were looking at resumes. They said, Eddie, we don't want somebody who just went to college. Mm-hmm. We want we want somebody who really. Used college. Mm -hmm. We want somebody who, outside of the classroom, was a leader. Mm -hmm. That's a student athlete, Mm -hmm. that is a student government association member, that is someone who was in the Greek system, uh, someone who did community service. Even if they did a part time job or they did internships, that's fine. But we really want somebody who used that education. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about what people can do with it, when people say college ain't for everybody, Mm -hmm. This is what we're. This is what we're leaving on the table, mm-hmm. and and that goes back to what you talked about as far as building that social capital. Shouts out to our girl Francois Booker Drew. Um, hey, <laughs> when you well, you know, leaving that social capital on the table, mm-hmm. and 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 not only that, using <laughs> using that square root of something mm-hmm. to figure out how you can. How you can how you can shift the tides Mm -hmm. of social movements, you know, using those analytics, you know, revisiting that research and jumping into that research. You know, you you mentioned, uh, I think, oceanography was, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. you know, being that black oceanographer who says, do you understand Mm -hmm. what's happening in this water and what it's going to do to our communities, what Mm -hmm. it's going to do to my community, Mm -hmm. I need to get the word out. I need to write a book. Mm-hmm. I need to
1: I mean, I honestly, need to do more
0: research. I need to tell people, I need to tell people in the hood in Oakland mm-hmm. what's in the Pacific Ocean. Right. <laughs>
1: right. Like how how many black people live in coastal areas? Like, mm-hmm. you know, think about it. Um, you know, at, and I hear the the Robert Smith, Robert F. Smith, um Contribution or donation to um, to Morehouse. I really hope that there is a researcher out there, somebody who is looking at philanthropy, um, strategic philanthropy, who is making plans to do a study on the impact of that gift. Mark like, Barnes, maybe Mark. Prep Mark. <laughs> Mark, are you listening? Shout out to Mark Barnes, <laughs> development director at Dillard
0: University, who just got his PhD. Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. We
0: just, I mean, we just had this idea, Mark.
1: <laughs> we think you'd be perfect <laughs> to be a lead investigator um, I'll on, a, re- lo- on I'll, a
0: study. I'll be looking for the text from Mark <laughs> since we put him out there. <laughs>
1: Yes, but I I would really be like if, if I were framing a research project yeah. on that, I, my research, one of my research questions um, would be, you know, what is the what is the reach of impact mm-hmm. for that for that gift? So how many I don't know how many students graduated in that class, but what fields are they going into mm-hmm. um, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now? What is going to be the return on that investment in terms of um, community-based social impact that they make, um, Mm -hmm. racial impact? What are are those students going to do? Now, you know, of course, all of them are going to be, um, you know, well... Perhaps. Um, I'm not going to say what they're not going to be and what, or what they are going to be, but... They
0: are all going to be billionaires. They are Speak all it.
1: going to be billionaires. Speak it. I, I, I retract that, yes.
0: <laughs> Mr. Smith gave y'all a head start. <laughs> he
1: gave y'all a head start. So every and, and
0: last he, one of you... <laughs> Every last one of you. And that's actually, that was actually part of the context of when right. he mentioned the gift. Mm-hmm. Part of his, part of the things that he mentioned was, I want to give you a head start. He actually right. says something yes. to that effect.
1: Yes, I'm, I'm giving you a head start. And if, and if, if, if nothing else, someone believed in a group of students that much yeah. mm-hmm. to invest that. Because when, when you make a, a charitable donation, um, in many case, in most cases, there's some, there's, there's heart behind it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and hearing parts of excerpts from, from his speech, um, he certainly was, um, he felt a strong sense of conviction about his mm-hmm. giving and he does, do, he does feel conviction about his charitable contributions. And, you know, that, that speaks volumes and mm-hmm. the responsibility that's then on those those graduates of Morehouse, uh, mm-hmm. what what are they going to do with it, and how are they going to pay it forward? Because because we we do exist in a continuum. We do mm-hmm. stand on the shoulders. Um, we are a, a part, a page in a, in a very long story, mm-hmm. and we we can't look at our education and our educational attainment just as a singular. Um, experience of us it, it mm-hmm. reaches before and it reaches after us so um i'm i would really love to see uh research that's done uh looking at what what are the outcomes of that contribution
0: and and i think you know one of the last things i think to mention is uh, I, and and i want to paint this picture for somebody who's listening to this right now, who might've even uttered the words, college ain't for everybody. I, I just want to paint this picture for you. You know, I'm in my late forties, getting my master's degree. Um, and for years, I just had no idea what I wanted to do. And I finally decided that it was worth it for me to pursue this master's degree because there's one thing I, I decided I wanted to research. And in, in, and in doing this, I'm one of those people who once upon a time, I was hard on PhDs as well. Um, But what I've really, really discovered about research that people say, all this research stuff is all useless. Well, let me tell you how valuable it is. It forces you to look at history. It forces you to take a look at where the blind spots in history are. It forces you to take a look at where the biases are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, how people might have written a certain thing in history and they might have they might have done a certain thing. And you're sitting here going, well, what about the black folks in this thing? Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. realize that you you now have the power to help change the narrative because you are now doing Mm -hmm. research. And what every what people ask you to do is to bring something new to the field. That is an opportunity like nothing. I mean, th- there's no other opportunity like that. Now, I actually have gotten to a point, I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this? And I'm like, duh, I spent, I'm spending this money. I'm spending this time. I'm passionate about what I'm researching. I know I'm going to change the damn world with it. And, <laughs> and that I'm really, to this point, I'm like, somebody's going to read this. They're going to get it. Yeah. They're going to realize that they can do something better. And they're going to realize that they can make a better society by reading something. And I don't know who that's going to be. I mean, it might be fifty years after I'm buried. I don't know. But it, it, but I but I know that is going to do something. And I and I and and to me, there's nothing like watching the lights go on mm-hmm. with a black student in college mm-hmm. or a black student who graduated from college, and ten years down the road, they're like, "Wait a minute, that's what all that was about," mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, I remember one thing that's coming to mind as you're um talking about this, one you you've asked me before what did I what's one of the major things I got out of my PhD, um, and my experience. And I said and it may have been on air or off air, I can't remember, but I'm acutely aware that there are a lot of things I don't know. Mm -hmm. um and you know that's the terrifying part it's terrifying (laughs) but i'm comfortable with it because of the nature of research you just you know there's things you just don't know and but i know that i can find it out i know that i can research it and i know that i can share my research in a community and you know and there's value of um there's value in me um doing research and and engaging with others who don't have the same experience, knowledge base, understanding or value set that I have. Mm. So um, while no, I don't know everything um, and having a doctor does not promise that you will have, that you'll know everything, having the skills of research is the, those are critical skills to have and develop, and they work they, they apply to your professional life as well. Um, you know, and, and there are also people who say, well, I, the knowledge and skills that I need to get, I can get from a library book. Yes. Usually I ask how many, show me your library card and I may be the only person in that conversation (laughs) with a library card. (laughs) So, you know, yes, you can get that information from a library and, and you can get that information for free is the point. But, um, Having access to a community of people right. who are engaged in scholarship it challenges you, and you need I was to be about challenged. To say. I was about you need to say, your yeah. worldview challenged mm-hmm. because if you're going to argue something, if you're going to have someone invest in your business, if you're going to have someone support your idea, you need to know where your blind spots are. You need to know what you didn't think of, and when someone challenges you, they're not challenging you personally. They're not hating on you. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to rain on your dream or whatever. They're trying to make you better. Whether they like you or not, they are making you better because Mm -hmm. they're pushing you to fight for what it is that you want to do.
0: And I always tell people, you know, one of the things, even if you don't like somebody, even if you can't stand them. If you know how to debate them And one thing that doing research helps you do It yes. helps you learn how to debate learn people how to debate I mean, goodness, mm-hmm. God, I didn't I, I mean, I, oh, I'm sitting there like Oh, so this is how I can get people now Cool <laughs> um, But at least The discipline of being in college To be in a diverse environment I mean, if you go to an HBCU or graduate You are also in a very richly Diverse mm-hmm. environment And, you know, um the 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 real the real beauty of it is that even if you don't like what somebody has to say being college educated helps you listen to the people you don't like so that you can figure out how to beat them in an argument next time so they can kill that noise and i'll say this as a final word and i will definitely give you the last word um as a final word i would say you know what college isn't for everybody but it is definitely for somebody Who wants to change Their circumstances And the circumstances Of all the people around them It's definitely for people like that
1: Yes I,
0: I, Last word Dr. Francis <laughs> What say you?
1: I, I wholeheartedly agree With that sentiment um, And I also say Along with that If you want it Go after it with all of who you are. Um, don't let the barriers, which, recognize that many of those barriers are intentional. Um, the cost, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the access points, those are um, structurally intentional barriers in many cases. And, and you know, I'm, I'm saying this, you know, use a sociology speak or whatever, but y'all, you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it's Those are intended barriers. Um, It's no mistake that we are strategically absent from the higher education conversation. It's no mistake that one of the most heavily debated um, rights in our history as a nation was, was the right to equitable education for people of color. That's no mistake. So understand that education is power, knowledge is power you know, if you grew up watching Schoolhouse Rock, whatever, whatever, that that there's a lot of truth to that. And there, know that um, systemically keeping us out of the college um, space, out of higher education, there is a purpose and a design for that. Mm. Um, so when you decide to opt out, I sincerely hope you have a plan, um, a very real plan that is going to counterbalance um some of the challenges that we face so that's my thought my last word
0: (laughs) Well, if you want to hear more from For our edification uh, There are podcast episodes that I would love For you to check out. All you have to do is go to my website eddyfrancis.com. Go to EddieFrancis.com and you can Check out uh, some podcast episodes There. As a matter of fact, great conversation With Halima about her PhD journey um, <laughs> And what that was like That was a two-part discussion Very enlightening stuff But then also all kinds of great identity And value topics um, On that podcast And by the way When you do go to the podcast, please rate it, okay? We'd love for you to rate it. We'd love for you to subscribe subscribe to it um, and download episodes. And by all means, here's my last ask of you. Please share the podcast with friends. In the meantime, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to hanging out with you again. This has been For Our Edification. For Dr. Halim Malik Francis, I'm Eddie Francis. Bye.